Welcome to the Meta Business Podcast. The Metaverse and Web3 are bringing about the biggest revolution since the internet itself. With your hosts, Paul the Prophet Dawalibi and Jeff the Juice Cohen, we will be bringing you the latest Metaverse business news and insight into what it all means. The Meta Business Podcast starts now. From the boardroom to the metaverse, this is the Meta Business Podcast. I am Paul Dawalibi. I'm joined today by my friend and co-host, Jeff the Juice Cohen. For those of you who are new here, welcome to the official podcast of the metaverse. What we do is we cover all the biggest metaverse topics and news of the week, but we look at all of it through a business and C-suite lens. We dissect, we analyze the business implications of everything happening in this very exciting space. Jeff, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great. It's uh, another week here. I, I, you told me earlier in the week, we, we crossed over a thousand weekly listeners, uh, which it I was think big. is pretty, pretty awesome. Um, you know, Considering and, and really, this is only episode 14. I think that's better growth maybe than business of esports, which has been a massive success. Way better growth. Are you kidding me? Way better, way faster. Now I'm just, you know, we try to way. be modest there. You know, we, we, we're, we're standing on the shoulders of, of giants here. Oh, I thought you were going to take all the credit. Oh, no, I, see, that's not, that's not who I am, Paul. You know, I'm always, uh, you know, magnanimous, humble, humble and magnanimous, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, seriously, it's, I, I, I was pretty psyched to hear that number when you told me, um, you know, I, I had a feeling we were growing pretty well the reach people reaching out and kind of like just the feedback we've gotten, but it's cool to see the data and we'll, we'll keep it going. That's what we do this for. I agree. And, and just a reminder for people like go leave a review on the podcast. If you enjoy it, guys, send us feedback. Uh, make sure you hit the subscribe button like in your podcast app. So whether it's on Spotify or Google Play or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get it, just, uh, you know, any kind of love, any kind of sharing. We really appreciate it. Um, the growth is thanks to you guys. And so um, thank you. Um, let's start, Jeff, with a fun story. I think this is kind of our, our, uh, you know, how we do things here. We'll start with something a bit more lighthearted. Maybe it's not so lighthearted, but it's a fun story. The headline here: I bought weed in the metaverse, <laughs> and the subheadline: It felt a lot like a strip mall. Um, so, so the author here, the journalist, goes through this sort of uh, process where you know they talk about retailers. From big box stores to luxury brands that are opening in the metaverse, you know, you have Walmart, you have McDonald's, you have Gucci, but uh, drugs are also a part of this equation. And um, so uh, Forbes has reported that there are cannabis vendors like Higher Life CBD, Candy Girl that have opened up shops in some of these metaverses or online worlds. Uh, They name specifically Crypto Voxels and Decentraland. Central Land, obviously a, a world we've talked about many times on this podcast. And Candy Girl claims to be the first cannabis dispensary in the metaverse. It's owned by a Florida-based entrepreneur. They purchased a virtual plot for about $13,000. And advertised in this virtual room are gummies infused with THC. Um, so uh, basically... Uh, you, you could go into there's a for those of you who are watching this, uh, unfortunately, if you're listening, you can't see this, but there's an image here of the shop within Decentraland um, where you can buy uh, and get a free sample of gummies laced with THC, essentially cannabis. Um, I'm curious what you think of this. Um, obviously, there's some straddling here of real world and virtual world, right? Because um, you, 
you you have to check out and and you receive mm-hmm. these in the real world right it, you can't you don't you don't get these in the virtual world um but a- any thoughts on this application of metaverse to and maybe yeah. not buying drugs, but more gray market. I know it's legal in many, many states now and things like that. But like, and what do you think of this application? I mean, this is interesting. It hits on a lot of things, you know, that I think we've talked about in, in the past. I, I've never, I'm definitely a lot more bullish on kind of e-commerce in the metaverse that's direct to avatar, as in selling virtual goods that people will consume and only care about in the metaverse. Because I think yeah. long-term, that's where the game is here. Because I, I just don't see, you know, while it's unique branding and it's interesting right now when the metaverse is very fresh, I, I just don't see that the user experience of doing this is better than just buying something on Amazon or our typical e-commerce. Like, I, I'm not convinced that you need to, you, that e-commerce needs to be immersive unless there's something cool to it. Like, this is something that, that worries me a little bit about the early days of the metaverse. And I'm curious your opinion. We've talked about this a little bit in other podcasts, but like, doesn't it just feel like ev- all of this is just like a digital shopping mall? Like, I hate that we've turned brands have turned the metaverse into this almost like dystopian, like worse version of a shopping mall where it's like, I- I'm not sure, like, this is the, me- this is the metaverse, right? This is VR. This is a digital world. Like we could be flying around on a dragon holding a flaming sword. And yet we're sitting here buying like digital weed. Like I, I'm just not sure like why we should be getting excited about this. <laughs> to be clear, the weed is real. Like you, you actually get received the gummies in the real world, right? Like you, you, you check out in the metaverse, but, but you receive them in the real world. Your point's a good one, right? Because I think there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, direct avatar commerce will have a place, right? You're buying something for your digital self, whether it's a cosmetic or something functional, um, that will have a place. There's no substitute for that. It has to exist in the metaverse for the most part, right? Like it makes most sense there. Um, where I think you make a, a strong point, Jeff, is like, why do we need just virtual versions of malls? especially when we're talking about physical products that still need to be shipped to your home. I think, you know, in the absence of normal e-commerce or online commerce, you could make the case for it, especially for something like weed, right? Where mm-hmm. um, you don't necessarily want to go or maybe, maybe, you know, you're shy about it or, you know, don't want your boss to see you or bump into you at the dispensary. And so like a virtual, storefront provides some level of anonymity or some level of, you know, uh, cover to do more gray market kind of things. Like I could make that argument, but fundamentally to your point, that's no different than the worldwide web. Like, right. Like just buying it on the website, (laughs) which is a lot easier. And so the only case really I could make and counter argument I could make would be, I think that, I think e-commerce for a long time has strived to be more social because the recognition is that shopping um, can be a social activity and can spur more spending if it's a social activity, right? Like if you go, when you used to go to the mall with your friends, there was a higher chance of buying something. If your friends are buying something, right? There's, there's sort of like implicit mm-hmm. pre- peer pressure and there's all these sort of psychological forces that when shopping is made a social experience and maybe the metaverse brings some of that 
back that e-commerce can't really do, right? Like e-commerce, I can go on Amazon and it could say, hey, my friend really like nine out of 10 of people in my social network bought this hat, right? And, and it could like they introduce these social kind of components that way, but it's not the same, right? Whereas in a metaverse, you could go and participate in the social shopping with other people. And, and oh, that's the that. counter and even I could go as far, you know, there's probably some unique things you could do with gamifying the experience. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of, I think, you know, eventually everything will be gamified. We're already seeing that with like stock trading, banking, like many aspects of the economy that were once sort of have been consumerized, like even B2B software, like your HR platform now is like having you play like a little mini quest to like take the tests. Everything has been been gamified um, in this in this world of consumer technology. So I could see that maybe there's some element of, hey, com- complete this quest, like go into this other store, buy this and then get that in this True. store for cheaper. Like maybe there's some unique aspects of that. But right now we're not there, right? Right, right now it's just very cut and dry. Like come into this digital world and and buy something. It's not that exciting to me. But I guess you got to crawl before you can walk, before you can run. So uh, I guess I could buy that. Yeah, and I think you need, like any like metaverses fundamentally are evolutions of social networks. You you need a, a certain critical mass until the the you know the utility is obvious. And if you're the only person in that store, because, you know, there's just not enough people online in this metaverse, you're right. A lot of the utility goes away. It's not not nearly as obvious. So um, I I think I I think social shopping. So or sorry, finish your No, I just think social shopping is the counter argument there. And and that is in some ways for a long time has been the holy grail for e-commerce on the Web, too. Yeah, no, that's a good point. What I was going to say is it's interesting that the brands, the brands are are early here, right? Like usually I find the brands follow the customers here. Yeah. It really kind of feels like there are more big name brands investing in the metaverse than there are actual like everyday customers <laughs> or people just going and hanging out in these metaverses. Like, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, the exact stats for Decentraland and Sandbox, but like, it's single digit million at best in terms of daily active users, maybe even lower. Um, correct me if I'm, if you, if you know, otherwise. So like we're seeing massive mega brands investing, creating storefronts for really a minuscule, minuscule addressable market at this moment. It, it's definitely rare. Like I feel like with the, the World Wide web, I keep calling it the World Wide web for something. I have no idea why. Um, the internet, it, it felt like there was a, a mass of people on it. And then the brands came being like, Hey, there's a lot of people there. We need to be there yeah. here. It feels opposite where maybe people have learned the lessons of that, but the That's brands are, the, the brands are so early, which is just wild to me. I just think they all learn their lesson, right? Like it, it, it doesn't, it takes a few sort of knocks where you're, you're late to YouTube or you're late to TikTok or you're late to Instagram, or you're a little bit late to this next, to the next big platform. And you realize your competitor has eaten your lunch there for brands to sort of get smart and savvy and realize anything new they need to be on. Right. There's this like sense of FOMO. You don't know where new platforms are going. You need to have a presence no matter what. And, mm-hmm. and I think you know, my conclusion here is it's brands have learned the hard way that being late, even slightly late to a new platform, a new movement and a new trend in technology 
can cost big dollars in the long run, right? The, any, the, the later you are, the more expensive it is to crack that nut later on. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about a company that uh, is definitely leading the way here, um, because I think there's two stories this week about them that are interesting and, and I think shows real leadership um, when it comes to the metaverse, when it comes to crypto, when it comes to gaming and all these things intersecting. Um, and so the two stories here, Jeff, the first, uh, the headline is crypto exchange FTX is launching a gaming unit to drive token adoption. It says the exchange aims to be a crypto as a service platform for game publishers. Um, they're launching a new team focused on driving cryptocurrency and NFT adoption in the gaming world. It'll rep- the focus, the offering will be a crypto as a service platform through which game publishers can launch tokens and provide support for in-game NFTs. Um, so they want to be kind of the enabling platform, the enabling technology for all these game publishers to start integrating blockchain based products into the into their games and into their gaming platforms. Um, park this for a second because there's a, there was another FTX story, which I think was worth mentioning. And this one. Different, but related, obviously, um, the headline here, FTX teams takes aim at the three hundred billion dollar luxury goods market and hires a beauty entrepreneur to head the push. Um, so they hired FTX, hired Lauren Remington Platt to work on partnerships with luxuries with partnerships with luxury and fashion brands. <coughs> FTX has rapidly expanded, it says, over the last 12 months, entering areas such as sports and gaming. But basically what they want to do is is target fashion and luxury brands and partner with them to to reach, I guess, these luxury buyers to reach the the kinds of you know the the audience that cares about those brands and again i think being the enabling kind of blockchain and crypto technology underlying everything these brands want to do in the space i think that that's the common theme here right they've identified sort of two very lucrative spaces gaming and luxury and and have said we want to attack both of them so I'm before curious. you ask your one thing I want to yeah. say, it's it really, I think, interesting and, and highlights the, the two things is I think it's really smart that they're going with this like verticalization, specialization strategy, because I think that's just the way kind of these platforms end up end up working. I mean, you see these deep niches where platforms gain specialization, and that's really when you can attract users. Because if you just go super broad and you say, hey, we're the best crypto exchange you don't really attract the depth of users, the depth of experience to get the two sides of that, that market. So I think it's smart to one verticalize and then go really deep and focus on these important verticals. And I think the fact that they're picking gaming and fashion is incredibly wise. I mean, it's probably the two that I would point out first um, in terms of gaming, probably the number one in my mind, just because it's a really smart use case for blockchain technology. there's a lot of interest in it already. The flip side of that is there, there has been some backlash, but I think that is probably transitory. And we've, we've talked about that a lot and can get into it if you want. But I think their adoption of blockchain technology and gaming is probably an inevitability at this point. Um, and then fashion, we've talked about fashion in the metaverse a ton. I mean, it's, if we believe that everyone's going to be living in these digital worlds and care about their digital selves as much, if not more, than they do about their physical selves, fashion will be a thing in the metaverse. It's just, 
that's how people express themselves with things they wear, the, you know, the way they carry themselves. So makes sense that the verticalizing makes sense that these are the verticals they're focusing on. Um, just wanted to throw that out there before you kind of ask whatever you were going to ask. No, no, I, I definitely think there's like this component. There's this, cause you, I think you make the case for why this makes a ton of sense from a B2B perspective, right? FTX builds deep expertise in sort of these two verticals and can attack those markets with, you know, specific technology and specific solutions um, that work for those players. Right. I, I also think there's like a, an underlying B2C story here, though, where I'm, I'm curious if they looked at data that said, you know, where what is the most target rich environment? for new FTX customers, right? Who is most likely to be a new FTX customer and what are their interests? What do they like, right? And, and I'm curious if maybe the conclusion of that was they're probably gamers or they're really into fashion or they're really into luxury brands. And, and they said, well, great, in terms of customer acquisition, let's target, like, like let's figure out how we can reach those audiences. And I'm curious if, there's a longer term strategy here that's that's all about, you know, attacking those audiences from a B2C perspective, also having built expertise around them. I think you're definitely I mean, we've talked a lot in the past about, um, you know, kind of the overlap between crypto and sports, crypto and gaming, crypto and esports. Um, you know, so I, I don't think that's new. There's certainly data out there that shows a lot of that overlap. I think it's the same thing with fashion. Um, so you know, there's, there's kind of no doubt there. And then as I think of the B2B, B2C side from the B2B side, you know, you, you have this nice flywheel where if you're, if you have a great deep offering, like specialized offering for B2B businesses that build on your platform, naturally you're going to attract the B2C side because that's where the best games will be the best fashion. Um, you know, so it, it's like any other two-sided marketplace, the, the gamers or the people who are going to buy your fashion brands want to be where the best games and the best brands are. And obviously the best brands and the best games want to be where the players are. So it's like any other kind of network effect, flywheel driven type business. Between these two groups, Jeff, like where are you most excited? Like, right. Because the, the, the gaming group within FTX says very clearly they want to go after game publishers with a solution that allows game publishers, right. To integrate these technologies, these features, tokens, et cetera, into their games on the luxury side and the fashion brand side, it says, you know, the plot, the, the, the woman who they've put in charge here, it says we'll hunt out major luxury brands uh, that have not yet gotten into cryptocurrency. And, and they say the, the major luxury brands is a market estimated to be worth 300 billion. Um, well, if, you, if you pull up the picture of, of Sam and uh, my, my style is a lot more like like Sam, I think. <laughs> so you can imagine I'm probably more on the gaming side than the, the luxury fashion uh, but obviously, I'm joking about that. But I don't necessarily think they're mutually exclusive, right? I think with gaming, people we've seen. I mean, cosmetics is a thirty billion dollar, um, you know, a year industry in gaming, right? Like people are constantly buying items that they they think make them look cool in gaming. So I would I would I would not. Even though I think when they talk about fashion, they're talking about a little bit of a targeted customer. I think the gaming vertical will, of course, include fashion, if that makes sense. No, no question. Uh, I mean, the, the, the numbers are interesting, right? Because you could argue that maybe luxury and fashion, the, the, the market opportunity seems larger at first, but I think you just ha- you're going to, they're going to have a lot less friction on the gaming side, right? Uh, I think 
especially after what we saw happen with Ubisoft, you're going to have a lot of game publishers who are going to probably be pretty gun shy, especially bigger ones about trying to roll their own. And FTX may be sort of the perfect partner for them, right? FTX may be the, it's like, and it takes all the risk off of the plate of the publisher. Now they have someone to blame if things go wrong, right? Like the, the, I see the value and how I, how compelling that sales pitch could be from FTX to the game publishers. And I suspect that's going to be a pretty low friction sale. Everyone wants to try this stuff. Everyone's interested in its potential. If FTX can come through with sort of something turnkey, no risk, right? Like they've built the tech. It fits in nicely. It integrates nicely. Um, I, I, I think that this could take off quite quickly. One, one thing I'm curious about, and um, you may not know the answer, but it would be very awesome to hear you know, from someone at FTX. Like what, what is the value proposition that they're offering to these game studios? Because we've seen clearly a lot of different kind of L1s, L2s, crypto companies like Polygon, Gala, you know, there's probably 10 others that have GameStop even have launched these kind of NFT platforms and they're all targeting the gaming market. So they're all raising large venture funds and they're going to fund fund and seed developers. But I'm curious, like what different unique value propositions maybe one has versus the other, because um, there's a lot of competition and, and there's a lot of investment dollars flowing into like, what is, and this is something we've talked about a lot, like there are not that many experienced crypto gaming developers out there. Like it's just a very small subset. So there's a lot of capital chasing, not a lot of experienced good teams. Like how do you set yourself apart? I'm curious if you have any opinion or, you know, I don't know if it said anything in the article, but what would you I mean, do if you're FTX? I think Sam's part of say who's the CEO and founder of FTX. I think part of his genius has always been just, top tier product and technology, right? Like where he, he really has always excelled in FY. The reason why FTX is, you know, valued at $32 billion today and why it has, you know, backing from literally some of the biggest investors on the planet, right? We're talking, uh, uh, Tiger Global, SoftBank, Tamasic, right? Like these are sovereign wealth funds, not, not even in the, not even, you know, venture investors at this point. Um, and the reason is, I think, best in class technology and product, which you can't ignore. I, the reason I think. Like game developers are pretty accustomed to plugging in other other technologies that they don't develop in house, right? Like every game publisher uses a game engine that's probably not developed in house, right? Maybe it's Unreal or Unity or, uh, you know, uh, CryEngine or whatever engine they're using, Lumberyard. Um, most game developers start with a piece of technology, a core piece of technology that's not developed in house. Then you want to add multiplayer. There are, you know, companies that provide that technology. You want to add in-game voice. If it's not part of Unreal, which, you know, today it is, but you used to be able to sort of buy technology from other vendors that you could plug into your game. And so you could focus on, you know, the core of your game, whether it was uh, the art or the story or whatever else. Again, I love the approach here from FTX because the value proposition is best in class tech, best in class product. And we take all this headache off of you, right? You don't need developers building anything on blockchain and success, I think, will come based on how easily that can be integrated into FTX's existing stack and into like into the games themselves. So 
if it's a no, my suspect the reason why we haven't seen much traction here is it's just not that simple yet, right? No one has really made it incredibly simple for game developers to, you know, check a box and now all the in-game items are tokenized and they're NFTs, right? Like, or something like, like I'm, I'm giving yeah. a very simple example, but um, I, I don't think anyone has really made it uh, totally turnkey for the game developers. And I think for them to adopt it without having to bring in specialized expertise, it has to be. That makes sense. Uh, it'll be interesting to watch. Like I, 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 I'm curious if like the big FTX competitors will do something similar. We'll, we'll go this, take this very vertical approach. You know, will we see Coinbase or crypto.com or like whoever else uh, in the space trying to even a polygon potentially trying to launch similar product stacks uh, targeted at similar audiences. But I do I don't think it's a winner take all market. I do think who get like whoever gets there first, though, will reap the biggest reward. There, there definitely is an advantage uh, to FTX getting there first. Um, all right, let's um, let's talk about um, <laughs> this one a little bit. Uh, we'll finish on a little bit of a lighthearted uh, story here. And the, the headline here, Jeff, is uh, business apes. <laughs> I almost I laugh at just the headline. Business Apes and Artemis Space Network takes BAPES NFTs to space for the launch of new Meta Fund. This is maybe the most. This headline was generated by a bot. Literally, yeah. like someone read <laughs> yeah. a million crypto articles and then a bot <laughs> spit this out. You can't convince me this isn't the onion. <laughs> so it says Business Apes and the Artemis Space Network partner up to release Space BAPES NFTs minted from space which provides a new investment stream for space tech companies. Um, it says uh, Artemis Space Network and Business Apes shared their own expertise to create space vapes. Through the partnership, 10,000 Genesis Bapes NFTs will be sent to the International Space Station. They will all receive blockchain credentials and certifications, officially making them cryptonauts. Then through a live streamed event, Owners of these tokens will be able to evolve them into fully operational space babes NFTs. Furthermore, every owner of these tokens will participate in governing new meta fund investments geared towards space tech companies. So. A little convoluted here, I must say, I don't know if you feel the same way. And it it feels a little bit like a very creative way of doing a Kickstarter for a space tech venture fund. Have, have yeah, I categorized you, this incorrectly? So that's what I was thinking. It's like, is you get no equity in the venture, right? You just get these things. Correct. And you, it says you will participate in governing the new meta fund investments. Um, interest. I mean, to me, <laughs> I sort of, I hated this 99% of the way, but then when they started talking about sending the NFTs into space and live streaming it. I was thinking to myself, damn, this is going to work. Like these things are going to be worth a lot of money <laughs> for a time. Uh, so I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much we want to get into this or how serious it sort of triggers me a little bit. Like this is just insane. Um, but having said that, I, I think it's, it's one of those things that people will buy because it's cool and it's a story. And it's, if you're one of these people that has a ton of money and that's what you kind of care about, this is very much something that you can go to a cocktail party and tell people and people will think you're cool because you have that kind of money that you just 
threw away on a picture that flew to space. So, <laughs> to, you know, to be clear, it's a bizarre world, but, you know, it's <laughs> cool, I guess. The one issue I had, mostly the scientists and me, um, anything I download or upload over Wi-Fi or five, like hey, even a cellular network for the most part, anything that's a wireless signal has a good chance of making it to space, right? There's quite a bit of leakage of, 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 you know, radio frequency signals from the devices we use every day. Chances are some of my data has made it to space. Um, um, so maybe it's not totally novel. So you in think, that yeah, it's not that unique. It's, you know, this is like all of your <laughs> NFTs have been to space. That's what you're saying. That's the line of attack you're going with. That's the problem here. <laughs> <laughs> they might they might have i can't say for sure right because i didn't send them to space but they might have um i, I do think though there is a, a little bit of a, a, a sort of a two-minute conversation to be had here which is how much of the traditional venture capital market do you think we may see disrupted by this sort of i, I won't call it a scheme but by this sort of technique right fundraising process where now we're you know crowdfunding we're providing something of value in an nft so you know whether we agree or not that it has you know actual value other than the value that people other people ascribe to it that's debatable but like how much of traditional venture capital fundraising do you think gets disrupted by things like this I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I, we've definitely seen, I think we can both agree in gaming, we have seen a lot of the model get turned on its head where these new companies or these, these blockchain gaming companies, Web3 gaming companies are able to mint tokens and basically sell in-game items before the game is even built. That is totally unique. It's not equity. It's ownership of an item in a game that doesn't exist yet. That is great for the developers, fraught with peril in terms of scams and and basically overpromising, underdelivering. Like it is, it is. I don't want to use the bubble word, but it, there will be plenty of projects that burst and go to zero. But it has largely turned the investing, gaming investing VC world on its head. Um, you know, where before you had to go to a VC, convince them your game was a good idea, get the money build the game. And then once you build the game, you have to spend the money to acquire the players. Now the players come to you and give you money to go build the game <laughs> um, before you know you even have the product. So I think that's great for empowering developers. It's, it's a much more efficient way to raise capital as, as those game developers, but it is, it is fraught with peril. Um, in terms of other areas of the space, you know, I think it's a little unique to gaming, but People will get creative. It's a great but, way to sell equity without actually selling equity. So why not? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you're not really an owner of the fund. Having said that, like if you're Joe Schmo on the street, you can you potentially have a chance of, of buying one of these NFTs and participating in some way in this fund. If you're Joe Schmo on the street and you want to go get into Sequoia's latest fund, like forget about it. Right? This is yeah. never going to happen. There is a feels like there could be a little bit of a democratization of, you know, venture. Um, I'm not sure it's smart to have 10,000 random people also directing the investments that as someone who's managed a venture fund, that feels a little bit like a nightmare of, you know, yeah. uh, trying to decide, uh, trying to make decisions like that. But 
Um, I do think it's an interesting story and, and uh, I don't know. I'd love, I'd love to own one of these uh, space bound uh, uh, space, space babes. Um, you should buy one. I think uh, we I w- should announce that right here. You're, you're going to buy one. I'm definitely going to buy one. Definitely going to buy one. Invest alongside you. <laughs> <laughs> Cheering I'll me give on, you right? A hundred dollars. No, definitely, definitely cool. And one to watch. Um, Jeff, that, that gets us to the end of this week's podcast. Uh, time flies as always. Just a reminder, you guys, uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends, your family, send it uh, my email right to uh, everyone, you know, if you're enjoying the content and uh, leave a review. You know, if you love the content, uh, the reviews help surface the podcast higher uh, in, in whatever podcast app you use. Also, make sure to go subscribe to our sister podcast, Metal Woman, which is all about a uh, woman in the metaverse and uh, highlighting them and empowering them. And it's a great, great podcast hosted by our very own Lindsay Poss. So definitely go check out that as well. Jeff, thank you as always to our listeners. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, and as always, we will see you next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Business. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review and tell your friends, family and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Business.